If you are in the 81% of aspiring authors out there, stop aspiring and start writing with Readsy. Readsy allows indie authors to find and work with the best publishing professionals, from developmental editors to book cover designers to publicists. Just sign up for an author profile, browse the extensive marketplace of professionals, find the best fit for your project, and set a collaboration in motion. And with built-in contracts, protection, and mediation from Readsy, finding qualified freelancers, editors, designers, and marketers as a self-published author just got a lot easier. Go to readsy.com today to sign up and set your first collaboration in motion. That's R-E-E-D-S-Y dot com. When I press publish, I kind of whispered to myself, wow, I hope no one comments on this. I don't really understand how I do it. That's a vulnerable place to be as a writer and... That sort of story is inspirational to a lot of wannabe writers out there who feel they have a book in them but are living a totally different life at the moment. After you reach an acceptable level of competency at something, simply doing that thing over and over again does not make you better at it. Taking a book the whole nine yards, from an idea in your head to words on a page, from a scribble on a napkin to a listing on Amazon, that's easier said than done. But it's also easier than you'd think. I'm your host, Casimir M. Stone, and this is Readsy's Best Seller, the podcast demystifying the process of self-publishing a book for aspiring novelists everywhere, one episode at a time. This is Addendum 7. Help yourself. What does it mean to be better? How do you know when you get there? How do we measure being good in the first place? If you think about it, it's actually pretty subjective. In the real world, we have no grades, rubrics, or curriculums. We only have what other people think of us, and what we think of them. With such a broad question, there's no wonder an entire industry, encompassing some of the best-selling books in the world, sprung up to answer it. I'm talking, of course, about self-help. It's hard to determine whether self-help is really an industry at all, or a genre, or as Helen Fielding's improvement-obsessed protagonist Bridget Jones famously put it, a new form of religion. The only thing certain is that it's been around for a while, ever since Samuel Smiles published Self-Help with Illustrations of Character and Conduct in 1859. Smiles, in turn, was influenced by so-called conduct books, written to instruct readers on social norms, which have been around for much, much longer, from the etiquette manuals of the 18th century to ancient books of maxims to, some would argue, the Bible. Whatever the case, self-help books are in extreme demand these days, having supported careers as luminous as Oprah Winfrey's, Deepak Chopra's, and Cher's. We all want to be better, but sometimes it's easier to read about something than to be it. It's easier to remain blissfully ignorant about your own shortcomings than it is to acknowledge them and go through the pain of changing them. And for some reason, that's especially true of writers. The only difference for writers is that those shortcomings are very obvious for everyone to see. Which might explain why, as writers, we get our very own category of self-help. 
They're called craft books, and if you've spent time listening to this podcast, you probably know many of them already, whether that's Stephen King's memoir-turned-manual on writing, Anne Lamott's classic bird-by-bird, or perhaps the most ubiquitous of all craft books, William Strunk and E.B. White's Elements of Style. To better ourselves, we look to other people, writers to teach us how to get better, or readers to tell us how good we are already. If you're in a different field or if you're just talking like on a personal level, you can hide a lot lot of your faults, a lot of your weaknesses just in the course of life, but a writer can't hide from a good reader. That, by the way, is Mason Engel. Yeah, my name is Mason Engel. I'm 24 years old. I have written around eight novels thus far. He's a prolific and successful self-published author, most famous for his debut novel, 2084, which landed Amazon's number one spot in dystopian fiction. And clocking in at under 25 years of age, it didn't take Mason much time to get there. In fact, his success story is a pretty straightforward one, or so at first glance it would seem. For one thing, he was born into the ideal family. Coming from a uh, stable, middle-class, supportive family, I had all of these advantages in life that would help me succeed. And he's been writing ever since. So I started the, the first book, I don't know, in seventh or eighth grade. And he never really stopped to think about why. That's a really, really important question, but one that I have kind of neglected to answer until pretty recently, actually. But he did think about how, and he landed on an approach that almost every craft book, writing blog, and high school English teacher has at some point trumpeted. Right. A lot. You hear all these stories from published authors. They talk about writing uh, a first book, and it was really bad, and they write a second book, and it's not as bad, and then they write the third book, and then they're published. 2084 is my... Yeah, the the sixth novel that I had ever written. So I'd written almost a million words of fiction, including short stories and, and other drafts and things like that. And that seems like a lot, a lot of work. So he published said sixth novel, landed it on the bestseller list, and turned its success into a full-blown career. It really, it became more real for me. It became a career when I self-published. That's when I knew I had to to really dive in and and start learning about the whole world. In other words, Mason is exactly the type of person you might look to learn from if you too want to be better at writing. And he knows it. I have a website that I use to talk about my practice regimen, my personal method of improving my writing called EngelWrite.com, E-N-G-E-L, Write.com. Which is why he's in the process of writing and publishing his own craft book. I put it into a video series on Engelwright talking about the, the practice methodology and then also into uh, an ebook that should be coming out soon. Yes, with a website already dedicated to self-improvement and an entire book on the way, Mason does want you to learn from him, but not for the reasons you might think. Yeah, it's a craft book in that it's it's about writing, but I'm just trying to let people know that I, I definitely don't presume to to be good enough to write a true book on writing. Although Mason's journey to indie success appeared to be smooth sailing, 
there's always more beneath the surface than meets the eye. Ironically, that's one of the prevailing criticisms of the self-help format. It's a unique blend of factors that goes into finding success, or happiness, or even something as seemingly simple as better writing. Upbringing, opportunities, discipline, natural talent, even luck all play into it, and that's a very difficult combination to distill in a 200-page book or a 2,000-word blog post. So, very often, self-help and craft books are accused of watering down complex ideas into facile mantras that might be easy to remember but aren't always effective when put into practice. Gladwell, uh, as helpful as his book is, Outliers, it, it also kind of oversimplified the idea, um, essentially saying that if you practice at something for 10,000 hours, you'll be an expert. And as compelling as it might sound at first, Mason's approach was not very effective when put into practice. I probably didn't hit 10,000 hours per se with my writing, but I I came really close writing as much as I did. But that wasn't enough. Just the time that you spend doing something, it's not a direct correlation between that and how good you are. There are other nuances of how to practice um, and and how to improve. It wasn't until I self-published 2084 that I actually got harsh real feedback on my work to that date I had not really given my my short stories or my novels to anyone but basically like my parents who of course gave me shining reviews so I had all this positive affirmation and not until I self-published did I realize the harsh reality that I'm actually not as good as I thought I was. There are people way better than me in the market, and there are things I need to work on and improve at. And that's really the turning point of how I viewed writing and how Wright and the whole improvement regimen came about. What was some of that feedback that you got that might have hit you out of left field, having not had any feedback on that level before? It's a good question. Actually, almost all of the feedback I got was out of left field, at least the the negative feedback. These reviews, both on Amazon and Goodreads, on Goodreads, people are like straight up ruthless. So that was very helpful, actually, after I got past the the sting. But there were a lot of comments about the, the flatness of the characters and some holes in the plot and the dialogue being clunky. Basically, like the the foundation level things of writing, people were telling me that I wasn't good at. 2084 was an instant bestseller, but that didn't mean it was good. Because writing doesn't require any physical technique, it's easy to see it differently than something like mastering the violin or learning to play basketball. You don't need to perfect the little things like your vibrato or three-pointers, so if you can just focus and make yourself write, eventually a masterpiece will come out. Right? Well, according to the infinite monkey theorem, maybe. But in reality, writing is just like any other skill. From grammar and plotting to world building and character development, there are a million little things you need to master before you can be considered any good at the big one. And another look at Mason's story explains why simply writing a lot is a great way to lose track of the elements that actually go into writing. Remember, he was born into the ideal family. You use the word privilege, and I would use that 
word as well, but that kind of built in an assumption of success into me. And coming from that stable of a home, it does have trade-offs. It can't ha handicap you in some ways. That's not to say that I'm not luckier than than 99% of the people on the planet, but it is important to notice your own weaknesses, your own blind spots. And my blind spot was just expecting, assuming that I would succeed because I, uh, for the longest time, basically had things handed to me. And he's been writing ever since. And it turns out I did almost nothing but write. And at first that sounds really good. Oh, he, he's written six novels. He's written hundreds of thousands of words. That gives him a lot of experience and he must be a good writer. That was my assumption. But in just writing and not... I wasn't even reading that much. I wasn't getting feedback from other people. I wasn't studying the craft. I wasn't doing these other things that I now know are pivotal to improvement. I was just writing and, and doing that. It makes you very vulnerable because if you start with a bad habit and no one corrects that and, and you just keep writing, the, the habit gets worse and worse and more and more ingrained and it gets harder to unlearn later down the road. So I, I basically plateaued. And he never really stopped to think about why. That's how we opened the call. You asked why, why writing? Why do I write? And until recently, I didn't have a good answer for that. And before you do that, there's no sense in pursuing a career because you don't know if that's really a pure desire. With a slightly more critical eye, it's clear that Mason's path to success was not the path you want to follow, if you want to be better at writing. So how do you get better? How do you improve your writing? And how do you master the million little skills it takes to do so? For Mason, the answer started with research. I had gotten essentially as good as I could from only writing, and then I knew then that it was time to, to shift how I was viewing um, the improvement process. And that led me down a big rabbit hole of research, starting with the broad topic of expertise science, basically the, the study of how people get better at things. And that quickly led me to the idea of deliberate practice. But what is deliberate practice? Broadly, it's a concept created by Anders Ericsson, a Swedish psychologist who coincidentally also put forth the 10,000 hours theory we covered earlier. The basic idea is that less practice time is required if the practice itself is purposeful and systematic. It's a simple concept, but when it comes to writing, how often are you actually practicing deliberately? For most of us, deliberate practice ended in school, when we turned in our final free write or grammar pop quiz. But it doesn't have to, and if you want to be better at writing, it shouldn't. Although you might not picture Hemingway at his typewriter doing timed writing drills, deliberate practice among best-selling authors is not without precedent. Most notably, like people that come to mind in terms of deliberate practice would be Benjamin Franklin. He's known for hand-copying articles from his brother's printing press and then improving his writing that way. 
another guy, he's a, a screenwriter, Sid Field, one of the greats. He started off as a reader, so he would dissect other people's scripts and recommend or not recommend them to producers based on how well they worked. So we got to understand scripts from the inside out. The commonality commonality being between these people was that they they were doing something intentional to improve and to get better. So whatever it is, it just has to be a conscious, concentrated effort. Of course, conscious concentrated efforts to improve look a little different in the 21st century, and you're probably not going to be hand copying the printing press anytime soon. But options for deliberate practice are still plentiful. It could mean something as simple as going back over your own writing to sharpen your style, by removing unnecessary words, adding variation to sentence lengths, or highlighting verbs like is and seems and replacing them with more exciting ones. It could also mean setting aside time to work with productivity software, such as the most dangerous writing app, which deletes all progress if you stop typing for five seconds. Or it could mean perusing the hundreds of writing prompts and creative writing exercises we've compiled on our very own Readsy blog. I actually had to learn some things and use sites like Readsy and read the blog and, and things like that. I'll drop a link in the show notes. But in the end, while you probably shouldn't follow his exact path, it seemed to me that Mason is the type of person you could look to learn from after all. It is one thing to come up with a system. It's another to actually apply it and prove that it works. So in my my own writing process before any of the practice regimen stuff, when I was writing 2084, I would definitely do like a whoosh first draft that Anne Lamott calls it Bird by Bird, her book on craft. I would just race through the first draft and then revise it on my own and then maybe get some feedback from some good friends and then try to incorporate that. And then I was ready to to publish. It was a very quick process. Feedback was really the, the biggest thing that was missing for me. But the other part, the other thing that I learned from the research and creating the practice regimen was was the intention. Like like I've mentioned, it's not enough just to do the thing. You have to concentrate at getting better at the thing. And how that manifested for me was doing individual drills on a daily basis. So I had I'm very schedule oriented. I time block almost everything. And every day I scheduled a time block for practicing writing only 20 minutes very easy to do it wasn't something that i like dreaded it was it was something fun and short and i would use those 20 minutes to focus on an element of my writing and use one of the drills from the writer survey so some days i would do some copy work hand copying a short story or an article or uh, the opening of a novel that i really liked and do that multiple times and try to internalize the style. Other times I would study a full length work and break down how the plot worked, how the author developed the characters. I did this with Ender's Game by Orson Scott Card, which is an amazing book. Um, So I, I just had this block of 20 minutes every day where I would focus not on creating new content or, um, doing any wise that that I could use or put online or anything like that. I was just practicing. It's like a a basketball player going to the gym to shoot around. He knows that's not going to make his stats better, 
immediately, but in the long run, that's that's exactly what it does by by honing that skill and making it better for the future. So that's that's what my current writing process looks like now. Even when I'm writing a a novel or a short story or whatever it is, I will take time out of my schedule. I'll sacrifice time that I could be writing that novel or that short story. And I'll instead do one of these drills. And I think in the long run, it's been incredibly more productive than just an extra 20 minutes of the writing. And by following his own regimen, Mason eventually landed on a book that sells and sings. So since I've, I've adopted the, the practice mentality, like uh, I, I updated 2084 and re-uploaded that and I've gotten much better feedback ever since I've submitted a couple short stories to a big science fiction, science fiction and fantasy contest and got honorable mentions back to back. Um, I just sent a, a novel to a freelance editor who used to work at one of the big five uh, in acquisitions and she loved the novel and had like amazing things to say about it said she seriously would have considered acquiring it for her house. So that that's a novel I'll be submitting to literary agents, but all these good things have come about because I've made just a small sacrifice in my writing time and prioritized practice time. And that's, that's really been the game changer for me in a nutshell. We all want to be better. Whether you're listening to reader feedback picking up a craft book, or tuning into a self-publishing podcast, we love to look to other people to better ourselves. But everyone else makes it look so easy. And that can be misleading, because it's absolutely not. It takes thousands of hours, millions of words, maybe even years to do so. And the only person who can make you do so is you. So... As Mason learned, sometimes helping yourself doesn't start with other people. It starts with yourself. It is just a really hard and painful and, and personal thing. So that's it's not just going to be like a, a writing hack that will allow you to do that. It'll be something that, that changes um, or that you acknowledge in your character as a person. And I am definitely not qualified to speak on on the best way to do that but i can speak a little bit about how just in terms of giving advice for how how writers to get better i do know that accepting that you might not be good enough is a vital first step that was that's what was most important for me and it's also something that is very easy to explain away or to avoid so if you send a manuscript to agents and you get form rejections every single time you can tell yourself oh well i my story just it doesn't fit the market but the story itself there's nothing wrong with it you can come up with all these excuses but the first step even if you don't yet accept it is to acknowledge the possibility that you might not be good enough and that sounds like a small step or an easy step to make, but for for arrogant people like I was and who are also insecure, that's that's like a world-shattering step. Brought to you by Readsy, this is Bestseller. Over the course of these addendums, we'll check in with a handful of indie authors to get their unique takes on the journey to self-publication. This episode was written, hosted, and produced by me, Casimir M. Stone. If you liked it, please take a moment to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. 
Our guest today was Mason Engel. You can purchase his book 2084 on Amazon or on his website, masonengel.com. That's M-A-S-O-N-E-N-G-E-L.com. And you can follow his practice regimen at engelright.com. E-N-G-E-L-right.com. This podcast, like so many self-published books out there, is made possible by Readsy, a marketplace that connects indie authors with the tools that traditional publishing houses would usually provide, such as editors, book cover designers, and publicists. You can learn more about Readsy on Instagram at Readsy underscore HQ, on Twitter at Readsy HQ, or online at R-E-E-D-S-Y dot com. And please stay tuned for more addendum episodes, as well as the premiere of our fourth season, coming soon to iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or the podcatcher of your choice.